listening to Connection Church's podcast. This morning, uh, as we've been worshiping and praying, and even at the 9 o'clock service this morning, I felt like the thing that God's been putting in my heart all morning was just new life and coming to new life. And I even felt like God um, pressed upon my heart a few things, like I'm um, just even thinking about new life and from the way that you would see it with a bird and how it has to break out of its shell before it's able to fully understand what it is to live and to be able to do what it was created to do. I thought about how a seed has to break out of that, the shell of that seed and it has to push through the ground in order to have new life. And as I thought about those things, I thought about the text we're looking at today and I thought about how our lives are and that we we, uh, we sometimes have to leave behind things in order to experience new life. We have to push through things. We have to let things go. The Bible says that we should um, run a race with perseverance, that we should cast off everything that um, entangles or, or that hinders and the sin that so easily ensnares us and, and run this race that God has set before us. And this is the thing that we know is when we pursue Jesus, He brings us into life. He leads us into the light. And today, my heart for you, my heart for us, is that we would come into new life. Because this is what I know. There's a lot of people who are hurting. There's a lot of people who are worried. There are a lot of people who are concerned. There's a lot of people with things on their minds. I'm, I'm, I'm one of those. But my, my prayer today is that through God's Word, we would leave that behind. Um, the sin in our life, that we would leave it behind. The things that entangle, we would leave those behind. That we no longer tolerate those things. They move on, we move on, and we come into the life that God wants us to have. See, that's what happens when we pursue Jesus. We take steps of faith, and as we take steps of faith, He brings us more and more and more into His own image, which is true life. It's life-giving. So my prayer for us today, and, and this is my hope. This is, man, I hope that you want that. I hope that you want to experience a deeper love, a deeper life in Christ, and what you're currently experiencing. I hope that you and I hope that you haven't settled for where you are, but that there's something in you that wants to push on and push forward and push towards Christ to pursue Him, to press into Him, to become more like Him, to know Him more. And that as we begin to see Him more and see Him more clearly, everything else seems to fade away. It seems to not be as important. It seems that everything else seems to become less and less significant in our lives in comparison to knowing Him. And I hope that today that's what we want. We're going to continue in this series called The Letters. We're looking at the seven letters that were written to the churches in Asia. And today is written to the church in Thyatira. Um, we'll read that as we go through it. Um, but first, before we jump in, I want to pray for us. And I'm going to ask that the Spirit of God would have His way in our hearts today. See, God wants to do a great work in us today, but the thing is, the question is, will we open our hearts and allow that to happen? Or do we come in here today with some wall that's up that's preventing that from happening? So as I pray, my prayer is that you would open your heart to receive the word. The Spirit of God will begin to speak to you now. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. God, the opportunity to come before you. As we stand here, Lord, as I stand here, as they sit here, as we worship you. 
Father, I'm in awe of who you are. God, there's so many things that I don't understand. And yet the things I do understand about you are enough to keep me mesmerized and amazed at you. So Lord, I pray that today would not just be another message, that it wouldn't just be another day, but that today would be a moment in our lives that redefines the rest of our lives. God, give us courage to look into our hearts and let you probe and let you move and let you do what you need to do in us so that you can, God, begin to move through us and that you would be glorified and lifted up and exalted because of us, God. Jesus, just move in and through your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn them there to uh, Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through the end of that chapter there, verse 29. And if you have your Bibles, you can look there. If not, it's going to be on the screen as we read it and go through it. Um, this, this text we're really looking at today is going to deal with some of the same issues that uh, we've been dealing with. Uh, specifically, there's a prophetess we're going to see. Her name, they call her Jezebel, most likely not her real name, but they use that name to refer to um, the Jezebel of the Old Testament who persecuted the prophets of God, um, was uh, killed them, and, and uh, even got after Elijah and, and uh, Elijah fled from her. This is how powerful and how much influence this lady had. And, and this, her spirit, uh, uh, what she was about was leading them into sexual immorality, into worshiping idols, other gods, in other words. Um, and so this was the spirit that was taking place in um, the church in Thyatira. In Thyatira, this, this prophetess had come in and she was leading people astray. She was leading them into um, idol worship. She was leading them into sexual immorality. They were eating food, sacrificed to idols. And we'll see a little bit more of why in a little while as we read through the text. But just so you see this, I just wanted to set it up for you. And the problem that Jesus has with this church is one, there's some of them who hold to her teachings who are actually doing these things. The other thing is that there's some of them, the rest of the church, even if they're not holding to the teachings, they're tolerating it. And so what I've been really thinking a lot about is how in our lives we tolerate sin. We tolerate hindrances to our walk with Christ. Many times we don't even try or attempt to get rid of those things until we're just tired of being tired. You know what I mean? And so we just kind of, they just let those hindrances, those sins, those things just linger um, and we just tolerate them. How many of you have things in your life that you know, maybe you just don't like it, but you just have to tolerate it? Anybody got things that you just have to tolerate? If it's your spouse, don't elbow them. Um, just keep that to yourself. Uh, right now is not, not the time to have that conversation, right? But, but, but we have things that we tolerate. Maybe you would call it a pet peeve. And I was thinking about some pet peeves that I have in my own life. And if you have, if you share these with me as I say them, maybe you can raise your hand so I know I'm not alone, right? But one of my pet peeves is people that snore. Anybody that bothers you when people snore, especially um, non-rhythmic snoring. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, it's like, you don't know if you're sleeping, if you're, you're falling into a pig pen, or you don't know what's going on, right? But snoring, it absolutely gets on my nerves. Another one, another of my pet peeves is like a limp handshake. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody else? It's like you get the old dead fish handshake, right? It's like, what in the world? Just grab my hand. And it's kind of like, Ugh, yeah. And so that, that's another pet peeve. Uh, another one, people following too close behind me when I'm driving. Yeah, anybody ever hit the brakes? Y'all are a bunch of sinners, man. Y'all shouldn't do that because I don't ever do that. 
I might would slow down and make their life miserable, but I never do that. Um, and then some of you've gotten behind them and turned your lights on bright. Don't lie to me and tell me you haven't. And, and so, so anyway, uh, some of those things. Um, another one that drives me crazy is clanking a cereal bowl. Like when you're, when, when you're not eating cereal and someone else is, and, it's, and you hear the clanking of the spoon and the... Does that not... Yeah, see? We're talking about passionate things here today, right? Things that, that really matter. Things that are really, really, really important. Um, and yeah, and so some of these things, man, they get on my nerves. I, I just tolerate them. And, and I was thinking about those things in my life, and I was thinking about how um, God tolerates so much with us, but I was also thinking about this question. Why is it such a big deal that this church was tolerating sin? Why is it a big deal to us if we're tolerating sin in the church? Why does it matter? What's the point? I mean, what is God so upset about? I mean, you know, they're still, they're still the church, right? Why does it matter? And I thought about three different reasons that I believe it matters to God. Number one is when we tolerate sin in the church, what we do is we begin to tarnish, blaspheme. We begin to miss, um, miss I guess, misrepresent God's name. And so when people look at it, um, look at the church, they don't see a true reflection of God. And so God wants us to become more like him. Sin means to miss the mark. That means we've missed the mark of what God created us to be. That includes all of us, every single one of us in this room right now, um, outside these walls, have missed the mark in some way. Um, we've all fallen sin and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we see what it is to miss the mark. When we, as we grow in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit works in us, we become more like him. People are to look at the church and see a representation of God so that when we, they look at us, we don't misrepresent him, but we're able to present an accurate representation of him. Does that mean we are perfect? Absolutely not. But it should mean that we are growing in that perfection. We are growing in the Christ likeness. We're beginning to look more and more like him so that when people look at us, they do see a difference with the church. It shouldn't be that we just look like the world. Uh, the second reason I believe that God is serious about tolerating sin and, and, and us tolerating sin and things that hinder us from pursuing him um, in the church is because it's not good for us. See, I think a lot of times this is the part that we miss. A lot of times we think that somehow God's just out to get us and, and so he just wants to take away all of our fun. That's not the point. The point is God wants what's best for us, so he disciplines us and he leads us into godliness because godliness is what's best for us. Um, sin always leads to death. Sin always leads to destruction. You may not see it today, but the day is coming when it will. God knows that. He created us. He put everything into motion. He knows that the best way for us to live is to pursue and to follow him. It's not to go after our own way. Our own ways lead to destruction. Wide is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. God wants us to walk the narrow path because one, it, it brings him glory. It, it gives a right representation of his name. And two, it's what's best for us. When my children begin to make poor decisions, it hurts my heart. I've got one now who is, is in middle school and he's going into his teenage years in the next six months. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And, and, and it's hard because I know there's a lot of decisions that he's going to have to make that I can't make for him anymore. And I want to see him make the right decisions. Why? Because that's what's best for him. And so when I look at that and I look at what God tells 
tells us, what his word says, how he leads us, how he guides us. I have to remember that one of the reasons he doesn't tolerate sin in our life, one of the reasons he doesn't tolerate it in the church is because it's not good for us. Any loving father wants to rid his children of things that would harm him. I wouldn't drop read my four-year-old off in a pen with a bunch of rattlesnakes. Why? Because I don't want him to get hurt. I love him, right? I want to protect him from things that would harm him. And so we look at this and God's the same way. He's a loving father. He wants to guide us in the right path. The third reason that it doesn't, or God doesn't tolerate sin in the church and that it's such a big deal and that he would write a whole letter about this in the Bible is because it doesn't lead others to salvation. See, the problem with the church today in many ways is that we think the more we become like the world, the more we'll attract the world. But the reality of it is that we don't attract the world by being like the world because then we have nothing to offer them. If we live the same way, we have the same hope that they have, we have the same things that they have, they can live as godly as we can live, and there's nothing different about us, what do we have to offer them? Nothing. There's very little difference. So they look at us and they look at God and go, if I can do this without him, why do I need him? And the reality of it is there should be something different about our lives. And we're growing in Christ's likeness, we're becoming more like Jesus, they see that. But is there a progress in our lives? See, we don't all start from the same point. Sometimes we judge people because we go, well, I can't believe they still do that. But what we don't know is where they came from. But the people who've watched their lives do know that. They know how far they've come. They know how far you've come when you're following Jesus. For some people, man, just, just, just keeping and taking that next step is a big deal. You know, oh, they smoke cigarettes. Well, they used to smoke crack, so let's give them a break, right? I mean, it's one of those things where we need to look at it and realize that everybody's not in the same place as we are, but are we all progressing towards Christ's likeness? That's what God's calling us to do. And so when you look at it, there's three reasons that God doesn't tolerate sin in the church and why he wants us to rid ourselves of this. Number one is because he's more glorified when the church is purified. Number two is that when we look at it, it's not what's good for us. God wants to lead us into his past. His paths are good. He calls himself the good shepherd. What do shepherds do? They take care of the sheep. They lead them to good green pasture. And the third reason is because it doesn't lead others to salvation. We're missing our purpose. If we're not leading people to salvation and leading them to Christ and discipling them and making disciples who make disciples, we're missing the point and the, the reason for the existence of the church. It's a big deal. And so when you think about this, think about those three things as we begin to read this letter. Because I believe that the church in many ways has bought into many of the lies. If you look over in verse 24, as Jesus is talking, he says, he's talking to those. He says, to you who do not hold to her teaching, meaning this Jezebel, this false prophetess, and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. He says, so, Satan's so-called deep secrets. See, there's a lie that many times the church believes. We buy into some of his lies, these so-called secrets that Satan brings. He's called the father of lies. He lies to us all the time. There's things that he tells us, and there's things that the church has bought into. There are things that we do that, that are not honoring to God, and we've just sort of passed over them. We, we, don't, uh, we no longer stand for truth the way that we used to to, and in some ways that's good because many times it was presented without love. But when we come to a place and we look at Jesus talking about not tolerating, um, today one of the biggest buzzwords is tolerance. The thing we've got to understand is that when we come to the gospel, we, we preach it with truth and with love. 
It's not just saying everything's okay. It's loving people to a point that they care what we say. It's loving people to a point that we can come to them with the truth of God's word and we can present it to them. But we can't at the same time get away from truth. Listen, if we have love with no truth, all we become is like sentimental, emotional, spiritual pansies, right? But if we have truth and no love, then we just become judgmental bigots. That we just, people just feel like we're looking down their, their, our nose at them. And we need to have a, a balance of each. We need to come to a place where we're willing to, to tell people truth, but they know that we love. See, that's what I wanna do with you today is I want you to hear my heart. It's not to try to put people down. It's not to try to make people feel bad. It's to hopefully call people out of darkness and into light. It's to hopefully be able to say, we love you, I love you, we want the best for you. We want you to be glorifying to God. Let's all, let's all, because we've all got it, let's all cast off the sin that holds us back and let's run like crazy after Jesus. Let's run like crazy after Jesus, believing that he can heal my heart, believing that he can heal my marriage, believing that he can heal rebellious children, believing that he can, he can do a work in us that'll last for eternity, believing that he still saves people, believing that when we preach the gospel is powerful and effective and that it never goes out, that it doesn't return the, 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 the harvest that God wants it to return. And so we come to this place of, of asking this question and, and I wanna challenge you, what is it in your life that's ensnaring you? What is it, the sin that's maybe you're tolerating? What's the sin that the church is tolerating? One of the sins the church tolerates now, we just try to overlook it because it's not worth the fight, right? It is this, this lie that somehow um, sexuality doesn't matter. And yet in reality, it does because the Bible teaches that it does. And when I say that, the first thought that people have is homosexuality. And that's not, I'm not singling anything out here. I'm talking about just in general. Sexuality is a big deal, but the church doesn't want to talk about it. Why? Because did you feel that air suck out of the room when I said sexuality? Because we don't want to talk about it, but it's a big deal to God. Why? Because God created everything in order. He put it in place and he wants it to be done in his order, the way that he designed it to be done. But we tiptoe around things. We won't talk about it. We don't, want to, we don't want to address the things that people are talking about. How many of you this week thought about, was I predestined or did I choose to go to heaven? How many of you thought about sex? See, I ain't gonna raise your hand, but I know. But we don't talk about things that matter. Why? Because the things that don't matter are safe. We can spend all our time doing things that don't matter, and yet the reality of it is we don't ever do anything that does matter. So we need to come to a place of recognizing that and quit tolerating things. We become a church that's tolerant of people just being able to be hearers of the word and not doers. James talks about this. He says, don't just be hearers of the words, but be doers of the word. But how many of you have ever applied one thing I've said from this stage? I bet the hands are few, if we were to be honest. How many of you have applied anything that we read, that we study, and we've just made that acceptable? But it's, it's not right. We don't grow that way. We don't come into life that way. We don't experience new life that way. We don't glorify God that way. So here's how we read the Bible. We look at it and we read it through the lens of our preference. 
So that what we do is we take God's word and we try to make it say what we want it to say. We try to make it fit what we want rather than God's word beginning to shape what we want. And so we just let it tell us this, but then we want to reinterpret it and make it fit what we want to do. Or like Thomas Jefferson, we just want to cut out the parts we don't like. Right? And the reality of it is, this is God's word. See, one of the things, and we're going to see this in a minute in this text, one of the things that God is serious about is authority. But for most of us in here today, the word of God has no authority in our life. This is how I know we still have options that exist other than obeying what God's word says. Is that truth? Amen. It's truth. And it doesn't always feel good, but if it doesn't feel good and the shoe fits, we need to outgrow it. We need to keep growing in it. So we've bought into these lies. We've, we've settled. We, we've just let God, uh, just, we've just sort of said, well, God, this is good enough. I'm comfortable, God. To heck with your kingdom. I'm comfortable. That was the church in Thyatira. In fact, their sin was due to them um, being comfortable in their social status. It was due to them being comfortable uh, where they were. They were trying to preserve their financial status, their social status. They were a part of what was called trade guilds. Um, it was like a union, but it had religious ties. Um, so when they went to this trade guild, this was huge for them because they couldn't make money. They couldn't trade goods if they weren't a part of the guild. But the thing that they would do is when they went to these, these meetings, these trade guild meetings, they were also tied to religious worship. So it wasn't just like going and doing a business thing. They also also had to go in and do, um, do, do worship with these people. And what those, those services consisted of, one, was that they would first offer wine to a God. So they'd make a wine offering. Two, they would eat food that had been sacrificed to that God. And then three, after it was all said and done, they just had a big old orgy. That was what these meetings consisted of. And so these people, what God is telling them is you're overlooking these things so that you can gain what you need to gain, so that you can be comfortable with what you're comfortable with, so that you don't really have to trust in God as your provision. You can trust in yourself as your provision. And Thyatira had it made. From a worldly perspective, they weren't persecuted, but they were selling themselves short of what God wanted for them. And I wonder how many of us are doing the same. Are we selling ourselves short of what God wants for us? Are we pressing in to God and allowing God, even when it hurts, to begin to remove things from our lives so that we can press in, so we can become like him, so that he can be glorified through us? Or are we just being the stagnated church? So I don't want to pastor the church that's stagnant. I want to pastor the church that's growing. I want to pastor the church with people who are passionate about Jesus and passionate about the lost. People who are so, so sure of the power of God that there's nobody out there that's unreachable. People who are so sure of what God's done in their life and understand what they've, say, what they've been saved from that we couldn't possibly look down our nose at somebody else who hasn't yet found God, Jesus and the power of salvation. But are we doing that? Are we, or are we settling? Are we tolerating things that shouldn't be tolerated in our own life that hinders us? Those things that we need to throw off so that we can run this race that God's called us to, so that we can win the prize, so that we can bring other people into the knowledge of salvation. Here's where the letter begins. It says in verse 18, 
says, to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God. And this is important. I told you, I've been trying to teach you. The first sentence in each of these letters tells us what this letter is going to be about. And it's important that he says this first. This is the only one that he addresses himself and calls himself the Son of God. And it's very important to understand that the reason he does this is because he's about to pronounce judgment on people. And he's saying in this statement that I'm the son of God. He said, these are the words of the son of God. He's saying, I have the authority to do what I'm about to tell you I'm going to do because I am God. And so he's making that statement very clear. Then he says, whose eyes are like blazing fire. In other words, he can see clearly how to make the judgment. It's not something that's clouded to him. He sees clearly into our hearts the, the secret sin and the hidden sin and the blatant sin in our life. He sees clearly into that. So he's able to make an accurate judgment. He's able to see it. Um, so one, he has authority to judge, but two, he can see accurately to make a judgment. And then it says, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. This is speaking to his strength and his power. If you look over in um, verse 27, he says of, the peop of himself, he says he will rule them with an iron scepter and he will dash them to pieces like pottery. The imagery is of someone stomping on the pottery. He's saying when my judgment comes, I have the strength to execute the judgment. I have the power to execute the judgment. And so when he's speaking this, and he says the son of God, he's saying I have the authority to execute judgment. When he's speaking and he's talking, he says I have the ability to see accurately and speak the truth. I, I see, see truth. I can see and I can make an accurate judgment. And then when he looks and he's talking about the burnished bronze, he's saying, I have the power and the strength to execute the judgment. And so this is what he's talking about, is that there is a time coming when it will be judged. It's not politically correct. It doesn't build big churches. But the reality of it is that there is a judgment coming and God will judge us according to our deeds. And, and our deeds don't save us. It's not what we do that saves us, but our deeds are a representation of our salvation. Our deeds don't save us, but because we're saved, God can look at our deeds and go, I know this one belongs to me. He knows what's in our heart. He knows what's there. He can see it clearly. Verse 19, I know your deeds. He said, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are not now doing more than you did at first. So here's the commendation. In most of these letters, Jesus gives them credit for something and then rebukes them. In every letter, there's a rebuke. In some, he, except for Philadelphia, then in some, he actually gives them a commendation and a rebuke. In this one, he's telling them that I know the good you've done. Man, your love and your faith and all of these things that you've done, it's good stuff. It's good see, he's about to talk to them about something they're not doing, about a judgment that's coming. And the thing that I see in that and the thing that we have to understand is that good deeds don't cover sin. Only the blood of Jesus is able to do that. If there wasn't something they needed to repent of, we wouldn't have the second part of this letter. But there was. They were doing all of these good things, but our good deeds don't hide the shortcomings from God. He's still going to press in. He's still going to poke. He's still going to prod. And he's still going to try to call us out of darkness into light. And many times in the church today, we think that our way of salvation is through our good deeds. The Bible says that our good deeds are like filthy rags before God. Compared to his righteousness, there's nothing righteous about us. And yet he chooses, he loves us. He's placed his affection on us and he calls us to himself. 
But we need to see that doing good, man, the only way we're made right with God is through Christ. Because he's the only one who's ever lived a righteous life. And he transfers that righteousness to us when we come to faith in him. It's basically the great divine exchange that takes place. Jesus takes our sin and junk and he gives us his life and righteousness. That's a pretty good trade, right? And so we see that. In verse 20, he begins this rebuke. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating the food of sacrifice to idols. I want you to see in this how this teaching, one of the things it does is it moves them from truth. Once it moves them from truth, it entices them to sin. That's how this works. Listen to what God says about it. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. See, God even gave this Jezebel, this woman who's leading his people astray, he even gave her time to repent, but he said, she's unwilling. I wonder how many people here today, God has given time after time after time, an opportunity of repentance, an opportunity to come to him, and yet we continue to ignore his call and his beckoning and his plea that we would come to him. Our hearts are just hardened. We won't even receive it. In fact, you hear the things I'm saying to you right now are bouncing off of your heart because your heart as hard as the plywood I'm standing on. And how many times has God pleaded and begged and tried and said, I've done things in your life. I've, I've moved in ways you know that it was God and yet you refuse to turn and look to me. And he says that at the end of this, he says, I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. Listen, he says, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. See, when I read that, this is the thought I had. There's an expiration date on tolerated sin. See, God loves us and he is kind and he is good. And the Bible says that it's his loving kindness that leads us to repentance. It's his mercy and his patience that gives us time to come to him. But there's a time when that expires. Most things that expire, you know, when they expire, it's, it's done. Like, like when my mom came home one time with the groceries, I was about 12 years old, I ran out, I was so excited we had food, right? And, and, and I grabbed the chocolate milk and I began to chug it. And when I began to chug it, it didn't take long to feel like chunks and to feel the sourness of that milk. I don't like chocolate milk nearly as much as I used to now. But it was expired, it was done. It's no good for the purpose. And we need to understand that, 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 that when we tolerate sin, when we, we overlook sin, when we won't cast it off, there's a time when it comes and it, it begins to be judged. If we don't repent, have we come to Christ? Do we know Christ? Have we asked him to forgive? Have we asked him to, to cleanse us? Is that a regular part of our life or was it a one-time moment? Verse 23, I will strike her children dead then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. And see, here's the thing, that sounds harsh. Everything I've read is really speaking, not of her biological children, but of those who would believe her teaching. What we learn from this is, is the sin that we tolerate today in the church, the sin we tolerate in our lives, is passed on to the next generation. It continues. We need to be the generation that makes a change, that makes a difference. We need to be the one that's pursuing Christ in this nation of ours that we go after God and we go after those who are far from God with the love of Christ. 
Not a people who just sit back and go, well, I got my fire insurance. Now I can just do what I want to do. But a people who passionately pursue him. It says, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. In other words, he says, I'm gonna look at the, the, the fruit of your life. The fruit of your life is evidence of salvation. I'm gonna look at your heart and have you accepted Christ? Because if you've accepted Christ and he gives you a new heart and you begin to do different things. If you look at the fruit of your life today, let me ask you this question. Does it show forth that you have come to faith in Christ? I'm not talking about being a pretty good person. I'm not talking about comparing yourself to your neighbor who's all jacked up. What I'm talking about is, is your life lived for the sole purpose of elevating Christ above everything else? Is that your reason for existence? That Jesus would be glorified? Have we, have we done like the, the disciples who, who when Jesus said, come and follow, they dropped the things that they needed to leave behind and they began to pursue and follow? Have we taken up our cross and died to ourselves so that we can live for him? That's a question that we need to ask. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, this is verse 24, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. And so he's telling them, listen, those who haven't held on to her teaching, one, you need to, to begin to go and lovingly correct. You need to begin to go and lovingly set right what's wrong, but also don't go after the lies. You stay pursuing after Christ. And see, what he tells them is, I'm not giving you anything else that you need to do, that you need to believe. What you heard at first is all you need, that salvation comes by faith alone in Christ alone. And the Spirit of God comes into you when you come to faith. And in that faith, you begin to live a life that's glorifying to God as you pursue Him, as you constantly are dying to you and living for Him. And the reality of it is, he's saying, you don't need anything else. You just need to hold on to what you've already been given. Don't go after that stuff. Don't believe those lies. None of that true even if they kick you out of the trade guild even if you lose your social status don't worry about it I've got your back and if I've got your back you don't need to worry about anybody else just live for me and trust me let me guide your steps let me control your hands let me control your thoughts give it all over to me and let me live through you the life that I desire to live through you the life that I created you to live he goes and it tells us these things and see, this is what I believe. This is what went over in my heart as I began to study and read that text is I, what I began to read and what I understood was that the gospel is enough. Jesus coming to earth, living a perfect life that you couldn't live, dying a death that you should have died, going to the cross, taking our sin upon himself, being put in a tomb for three days. Three days later, he comes out resurrected to new life as the first fruits of all who would be resurrected to life. And then he went and he ascended and he sits at the right hand of the Father to make intercession on our behalf, to be our representative before God, taking our sin and giving us his righteousness. He's saying, that's enough for you. If you'll see the glory of that and you'll begin to pursue him and you'll realize what he's done for you, that's all you need. That's all you need. He's enough. He's the bread of life that satisfies. He's the hidden manna. He's the one who, who can give you everything that you truly need. 
See, the gospel's enough to put life back together. The gospel's enough to bring life out of, out of death. The gospel's enough for people when we're hurt and we're broken. The gospel is enough. Nothing else can give life, nothing else can heal. Not the way that the gospel is able to heal, not the way that Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is able to heal. Nothing else. Why are we chasing after the wind? Why are we chasing after clouds with no rain? Why are we going after all of these things in vain when he is the one and he's already given us everything we need for life, for godliness, for happiness, for joy, for satisfaction? See, I just believe and I just believe this with all my heart that it's the gospel, it's the power of Jesus that transforms lives. The way I know that is because he transformed mine. If he hadn't done it in me, I would be skeptical. But I know who I am. I know I don't deserve to be standing here today. I know the things I've done. We went to a Braves game yesterday. I was talking with a friend of mine. We were talking about some of the old days. And yeah, some of it was really funny. Some of it we laughed about. But the reality of it was when we were done, we both looked at each other and was like, thank God those days are gone. Because he's brought us into a better life. He's brought us into something that's different, that matters, that has meaning, that satisfies. See, the Bible tells us that the only way though to find it is if we lose our life. If we lose our life, we find it. See, I believe that when we lose our life and we find it in the gospel, God begins to heal relationships. He begins to heal marriages. He begins to heal uh, rebellious children. They begin to see the difference. Uh, They actually begin to see you walking in a different way and it begins to change things. It begins to heal anger. He begins to heal bitterness. He begins to give forgiveness in the place of bitterness. He begins to work in our hearts and our lives in a way that we can never do for ourselves. It's what God does. It's what the power of Jesus is about. People didn't write all these songs and people haven't printed all these Bibles just because it's a good fad or it's some good way to to go about doing things. It's because it's the truth and it is the power of God to salvation and life if we'll just come to it and trust in it. That's what God calls us to is life in Christ and our hope is Christ in us. That is our hope. And I hope that you would see that. I hope that we wouldn't chase after things that can't do what they promised to do. And that we would realize when we submit our lives to the authority of God, the authority of his word, to the authority of Christ, that he begins to lead us in ways that bring him glory. He begins to work in us in ways that are best for us and he begins do things through us that lead others to salvation. Here's the the question. Where are you at with him? What are you holding on to that needs to be let go? What's hindering you from running? What have you tolerated that needs to be done? Maybe there's a conversation you need to have with someone in love to help, help them recognize where their life is heading. What is it you need to cast off so that you can run this race with perseverance? Is it jealousy? Is it anger? Is it envy? Is it sexual immorality? Is it hate? Is it lust? Is it pornography? What is it? 
Maybe it's stepping into the image that God wants you to see yourself as. Maybe it's coming into the new identity that God has already given you in Christ and realizing that it doesn't matter what other people think, it matters what God has done in your heart. What is it today that God needs to do in you? I told you when we started, the thing that God had put in my heart was new life, new life for, for His people. Life that glorifies Him. I believe that that's what God wants. But see, here's the thing, guys. We've gotta be willing to take that step of faith and say, yes, I, I want that. We've gotta be willing to receive it. One, in salvation, yes. And two, for the rest of our lives, the, re- the Christian life is taking that next step of faith. It's listening to God and doing what He says. It's for the rest of our lives walking with Christ. But what's hindering you from that? That they don't want to do something a little different. It's not a big, big change. But I want to ask you, there's something that you're holding on to. Listen, it's not something that's got to be something bad. Good people, bad people, we all need prayer. Everybody. But something's hindering you from running the race. What I'm going to ask you to do is when I pray, I'm going to ask you that you would get up and you would come line this altar. That you would just stand here, stand, standing up so that we can come and pray for you. Me and the prayer team, we're gonna to begin to pray. We're gonna just ask that the Lord, as you come and you open your heart, that the Lord would begin to speak to your heart, begin to lead you into light, begin to lead you out of darkness, begin to give you the strength to let go of those things that need to be let go of so you can run this race. So today, as I pray, I'm asking you to move. If you don't know Christ, I'm gonna ask you, you get up and come and you tell whoever comes to pray with you that you want, to, you want Jesus as your savior and as the Lord of your life. And you let them know that so that we can take your next steps with you. For everybody else, what is it that's holding you back? I ask you to come and I'm gonna ask you to line this altar so that we can pray for you today and ask God to touch your life. See, I'm just crazy enough to believe that God still heals and God still makes people whole.